0: Hey, it's great to have you on the Rusty George Podcast this week. We are so glad that you're joining us. And if you have not subscribed to this, go ahead and click on that link and sign up to subscribe so that you have this sent to you every single month that it comes out and you don't miss any of the content. We'd love to have you uh, be a part of our conversation and to chime in and let us know questions that you have by emailing us back. Uh, today, we have a just a fantastic episode planned for you because I'm joined by three of my favorite people uh, who have been in ministry for many years. One is a mentor of mine by the name of Mike Bro, who's pastored churches in Kentucky, Las Vegas, in Chicago, in Rockford, Illinois, and now serves as kind of an itinerant preacher for three different churches out in Southern California, one of which is at Real Life Church. And then also, we're joined by uh, Mike and Jody Hickerson. Uh, Jody is Mike Bro's daughter, and Mike and Jody Hickerson helped plant a church, Mission Church in Ventura, California, about seven years ago, and have just had um, incredible success numerically, and have done amazing things in the community, and I can't wait for you to hear what they have to say. And so, at the conclusion of this, this podcast, I want to invite you to go to my website, PastorRustyGeorge.com, where we have an additional bonus episode that's a webinar conducted with Mike, Mike, and Jody, where we really get into some practical issues of how to apply justice, mercy, and humility in your life. And so the podcast, we're going to talk about that verse from Micah 6.8, Justice, Mercy, and Humility. And then in the webinar afterwards, we're going to dive into how do we apply these things in our churches and in our homes. And I think you're really going to be blessed by both episodes. So make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and make sure that you go to the website, PastorRustyGeorge.com, to watch the webinar as soon as we're done. So without any further ado, let's jump into the podcast as we hear from Mike Bro, Mike Hickerson, and Jody Hickerson. Okay, well, listen, so glad to have you on the podcast. And we're just going to go around the horn here and let everybody share just your name and what it is you currently do at this stage in your life as far as ministry goes. And we don't have to get into all the stats of how many grandkids you have or kids or that's your kids' names or boys' names or anything like that, you know. So, Jody, we'll start with you.
1: Okay, my name is Jody Hickerson, and I am um, a teaching pastor and programming director at Mission Church in Ventura, which is a church that we um, were part of a team that planted seven years ago.
2: All right. Yeah. My name is Mike Hickerson. I'm the lead pastor of Mission Church in Ventura.
0: Wow, that is the shortest answer
2: I've <laughs> well, you ever heard. You said you did. You didn't want any more stats. <laughs> I, know, so I know. I was going to make a smart I, comment, I, I and was then you were
3: surprised by your brevity. <laughs> brevity is the soul of wit. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Okay. And I am Mike Bro, and I'm not sure what I do. <laughs> <You> <laughs> I teach, teach at a lot of churches, 60 weekends a yeah, year. I, do. I teach a lot a lot of churches, and primarily I teach here in Southern California at a Real Life Church in Valencia, and Eastside Church in Anaheim, and Christ Church of the Valley in uh, San Dimas. And when I have some time off, I help out at Mission Church as well. That's great. Well, we're
0: gathered together today to talk about Micah 6-8, which has been a verse that I felt like it was no one talked about for years until I don't know who got a hold of it first, Hobby Lobby or Chip and Joanna, but it suddenly started showing up on walls everywhere because it's such a beautiful verse. And Mike, I know that it has been kind of a life verse for you. Um, you even got a tattoo of yeah. it, which we'll have to find a way to take a picture of it with a, a, a magnifying glass. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> um, but Micah eight, uh, bro, why don't you start us off? Just tell us why that verse is so important to you. And then I'd love for everybody else to chime in on, on what kind of resonates with you from that
3: verse. Yeah, for, for me, it has been one of those uh, you know, life verses. When I discovered it, I don't know how many decades ago now, it hmm. um, kind of jumped off the page of me because it was simple. Mm-hmm. And and I think we way, of, way over overcomplicate, you know, uh, following Jesus. Um, I, following Jesus is not always easy, mm-hmm. but not real complicated. Mm-hmm. You know, love God, love people, and when I saw that verse, you know, just uh, what's required of you? Well, just you know, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. And so, uh, when you talked about the tattoo, I, I got a. I got one tattoo and it's the only one I'll ever get because I cried for three minutes the whole time they did it. It's it's it, and it's huge tattoo. It's a little bitty tattoo on the back of my calf, but I lost a bet with my son who said he was gonna get a tattoo, and I said, dude, the day you get one, the day I get one, because you're such a needle wimp. And he texts me from the tattoo place going, your move. So oh man, so what am I gonna get? I'm gonna get. So I got a Micah six eight on the on my calf, and when people see it. Because I'm living in Southern California, I wear shorts constantly. They'll see it and go, So, what's, what's, what's that? What's that Micah 6 8 thing? I just say, Well, it's a little three step program I'm in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just I'm trying to keep it that simple and mm-hmm. you know, just do the right thing and love giving mercy away and mm-hmm. walk calmly with God.
0: So, yeah, what do you think? And I'd love to hear from Mike and Jody. Um, of those three, which one resonates the most with you and, and which one do we miss the most?
2: Yeah, I think uh the the walk humbly is the one that resonates because that's the one I have the hardest time with, of, because I'm pretty opinionated. I'll say what I think about things. Uh, you know, I'll I love people, but like, if you ask what my fatal flaw was, is like I think probably too highly of myself sometimes. And so, learning like it's not about me, walking humbly, like following Jesus. We're not the superstar of the play. Like mm-hmm. we're the one that were rescued, and the rescued people don't need to be the heroes. We're the people that walk forward. So I want to learn to walk humbly. I think the what I'm What I struggle with and how to figure out how to do it wisely is when do we when we talk about justice? Like in what platform, in what ways? So I think that's the tension that Mm. I think as leaders is a hard tension because you can't say everything about everything because then you're saying you just get like you know Charlie Brown's teacher, but you do need to be strategic in how you speak into justice. I think Mm -hmm. so. That's good, Jody. What about
0: you? Uh,
1: For me too, it would be the walk humbly um, with God because I think that's like. It kind of fuels the other two without humility. Mm -hmm. um, It's really hard to act justly and to give mercy, to give Mm -hmm. someone what they don't deserve, um, to see the needs and to respond that way. So humility is just kind of that undercurrent of Mm -hmm. all of it. And so, um, yeah, walking humbly with God allows you to even have the eyes open to see Mm -hmm. the injustices, to see where you need to move, um, to see where to give mercy away.
0: And don't you feel like... When you read this verse, even though it was written, you know, several centuries before Jesus, it, 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 Mike, it is your line that I'm shamelessly stealing, but, you know, following Jesus isn't always easy, but it's not complicated. I mean, Micah lines it out for us right there, this whole source of justice, mercy, and humility. I mean, how, how do you see Jesus kind of living that out? What are the stories that you think of immediately? Do you think, boy, that... That was him leveraging justice or mercy, or certainly humility.
2: I, I, for, for one, of me is when they brought the coin to him, you know, and he's like, they're, they're trying to, they're always trying to get Jesus to make a political statement. They're mm-hmm. always trying to move him into political kingdom versus a kingdom of God kingdom. So they bring to it, like, what should we do with this? And he looks at it, and he could have made a whole, he could have ranted on anything he wanted to rant on, and he and he says, well, who's who's pictures on it? well, I think we ought to just give to Caesar what's Caesar's then, give to God what's God's, and kind of just refuses to engage in the politicized moment, but still doesn't waver on who he's called to be and what kingdom he's trying to establish. That's the first one that comes to mind. I mean, there's a lot of them, but that's one,
3: right? One of them that comes to my mind is the a couple of them right off the top of my head was when when the you know the lady comes in and, and anoints Jesus and the Pharisees and sense by it and he goes, hey, you know, here's the deal. Those who have been forgiven much, they love much. Mm. And that 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 Micah 6, 8 about, you know, act justly, love mercy. You, you Like you're, you're, you love giving mercy because you've been given so much mercy. That mm. resonates with me. And the other one is when Jesus walks into the temple and the guys are ripping people off in the name of God. Mm. And he just does the right thing. He just says, I can't stand this injustice of people being told that their sacrifices aren't good enough. You're going to have to buy our approved sacrifice for 1995 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Jesus just starts flipping over tables. I mean, he's humble and he loves mercy, but he's also, this is not right. This is just not right. You can't rip off people in the name of God like this. So mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of a, I think how yeah, he plays out that verse in his own life.
1: Um, the one that comes to my mind would be um, <clears throat> with the woman who's caught in the act of adultery. And um, that, again, is just a you know, she's brought out and she was caught in the act, which would be, um, you know, just a little bit of a setup, like, Mm -hmm. let's see what Jesus will do. The law of Moses says this, what will you do now? Um, And to think what all the things Jesus could have done in that moment, even, you know, come to her defense or um, had a big speech, but instead he just gets down on her level with her, Mm -hmm. in the dirt with her, I mean, the mercy in that moment, giving her something she doesn't deserve, which is his presence. Um, and his grace, and then the way that he responds in that moment to everyone watching um, is just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like there's there. Everyone walks away, and the the accusers drop their stones because they're humbled. Mm-hmm. And that's what the presence of Jesus does when he meets people just right in the dirt, right in the mess. It always humbles mm-hmm. everyone else around, and you see justice take place, even though it's not the justice that everyone in the crowd that day thought. You know, right. this woman deserve.
2: Yeah, there is a protective piece to that too. Love, like, like for Jesus to be like, I'm leaning into the dirt with you, but I'm also like part of the mercy I'm giving is also I'm going to make sure that I'm going to protect you from the justice that they want to give you, which isn't the justice that God wants to give you, and I'm going to protect you from and, that. And
3: the injustice that was done against this girl is—it's my favorite story in the Bible—the uh, way the Pharisees set her up. They just used her, and Jesus, he knew that's that's not right. You don't do that. You just don't do mm-hmm. that to people. So I'm going to give this person the mercy that she needs in this moment. It's just a real cool contrast. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: when you think about, um, you know, justice, obviously, you you assume, okay, well, Jesus can do that. He's Jesus. He can be the one that that declares somebody guilty or not guilty. Uh, how does that look for? church leaders, and, and why is justice such an important thing for us? I mean, you think about right now we're living in the Me Too movement, we're learning more and more about how there's more people in slavery now than there ever have been in the history uh, of not just our country, but the world. Um, why is this such a big issue for us to to leverage as the church when we would tend to think, well, we'll let the Justice Department deal with that, we'll let the police deal with that, we'll let the government deal with that?
2: That's a good one. I think legislating morality is really difficult for every generation that's ever existed. So if we're really the people of God, like in the kingdom of God, trying to bring the good news and the hope that God can offer, we've got to be on the forefronts of some of the most difficult issues and on the forefronts of being in relationship with people on all sides of those issues, because if we believe that there's hope for everyone, that... God can rescue a soul, any soul wrapped up in any sin, then we've got to be able to be okay with the sin that people have on all sides of the issue. So mm-hmm. I, don't, I think it's a really important time for the church to uh, be in the middle of the mix and loving all the pe- people on all sides for the hope and the transformation that can happen.
3: So, mm-hmm. I, I think that with, with uh, this particular you know, verse, this Micah 6, 8 concept is you can't, the three have to stand together. And you can't separate one from the other because you, there's a way to do justice without loving mercy and without walking humbly with God. You can be so self-righteous and you know hard. And it, but but the, I think our call is to do justice in a way that is in concert with humility and with mercy. That's and so good. You yeah. have to you have to do it that way. And and when you do it that way, it's it's it is the right thing to do. So. You know where where we might not be throwing down legislation on, on or throwing people in jail or whatever, in a, like the Justice Department would. The way we extend is is offering hope and rescue and places for people to go to heal up and things like that. And uh, that's just the right thing to do as well. Mm-hmm.
2: Thinking through, like you know, who did Jesus protect and and who did he try to rescue and how did he try to do that in a way that was um, the way that he lived is walking forward and that is important
1: um I when I think when I hear you ask that question I just think about the early church and like how nothing ever you know spread like the good news of Jesus and but it was this radically hmm. inclusive community but also this community that was seeking justice and taking in people um, that were sick and marginalized and outcast and I mean it's just it was just so mind-blowing mm-hmm. culturally in this class system and where there was slavery and injustices to have this community of people um, that was, you know, taking in children that mm-hmm. um, would, would otherwise be discarded. And you just see, like, th- these are our roots. Uh, our roots of our Christian faith is to look out and go, where where is it wrong and how do we step into it? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that... I mean, obviously, God leads His church, His individual churches in different places, but collectively, towards the mess, towards the brokenness, tw- towards um, mm-hmm. children that are in the system, towards um, mm-hmm. people that are, you know, um, dealing with just crazy um, injustice in in our in our world, and and we have a responsibility. Um, I do believe that God is in control, and He just like when He was. You know, feeding the 5,000 when he looked and he saw that there was this great need. Mm-hmm. Um, he says to Philip, like, I already, I already know what I'm going to do. He had in mind what he was going to do, but there was this invitation to participate. Mm-hmm. There was this invitation um, to even ask the question, like, where could we get bread? Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's just so cool that I believe God is moving in that work, but we have this opportunity to participate in the way that he's going to um, meet the needs of people.
0: I want to drill down on this idea of humility for a second because uh, both you, Mike and Jody, talked about just the the danger amongst arrogance. And, and bro, you mentioned that as well. Was when that comes up, then everything else falls apart. But there is this, there's this stigma that's being said about the millennial generation that they are high in arrogance and low in self-esteem. So we have enough knowledge to be dangerous because we have Google – and we think we've figured everything out we get knowledge from other sources than just our parents or pastors or whatever so there is this level of arrogance that i think we're seeing but the answer isn't always just to think you know badly or poorly of yourself how does somebody find humility without just you know cratering their self esteem is it possible to have self esteem without um Being arrogant?
2: Well, I hope so. I mean, so I think that's part of like identity in Christ. Like, I think if we can root our identity, then who Jesus says we are is the most important thing. And then we don't need validation from anybody else um, or to be thought of well by anybody else um, because we have the most important validation. And I learned that from Bro. Bro's been drilling that in forever. Mm -hmm. But I think specifically to millennials, there's opinions without action. Um, Sometimes. That's a sweeping statement, and I wouldn't want to offend them. But there are lots of slacktivism, where they're very uh, active on their opinion, but not active in their life. And so part of what I love about this verse is that it's all active words. This is what you do. And and a part of, I think, living this way is these verbs, living these verbs out, and then don't need to tell everybody about it because you know who you are in Jesus, is one of the ways that I think you can be the kind of person that doesn't need credit or affirmation from the world about your opinions, but you're trying to bring the good news of the kingdom to bear.
3: So mm-hmm. that's what I'd say. You know, it's, what's kind of funny to me is that when, you, when the statement you made about, you know, people say that about millennials, uh, I bet builders said that about boomers, mm-hmm. yeah. the same thing. And boomers said that about Gen, Gen X and Gen X said that about Gen Y. You know, it's, the, the truth is human nature is we've always been arrogant and had low self-esteem. Uh-huh. You know, since the fall that's, that's been the deal And to push through that To say you know what it's Life is not about me It's all about this epic story of God That I get to participate in If I get him right If I get that right in my life That if if I can get Like Mike said The, the identity piece If I can get who God is And who I am in his eyes That does something to my self-esteem Which then again Does something to my, lack, my arrogance It takes my arrogance way down so I, I think that's a real key piece to realize it's not all not all about us. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, for sure, I echo the identity in Christ. I mean, we're raising a should be seventeen. Wow. Um, we got teenage daughters, um, and the the self esteem piece of just knowing who they are in Christ and having that firm foundation. Um, but yeah, I think it's definitely like a it's been a struggle for every generation. I think about myself and um, and really just getting to that place where you really believe that we're jars of clay. It's the treasure that's so marvelous. Um, What's so cool about that is is while we're just like these cracked, flawed jars of clay, we do have this incredible treasure. God's entrusted us um, with this good news and with this hope and with You know, we have resurrection power. So it gives you this sense of like, I'm walking humbly because it's not about me. I mean, the only hope for glory I've got is Christ in me. Mm -hmm. But how cool! Mm -hmm. That I have Christ in me, that I have this opportunity, um, that I don't have to be the Savior, but I know Him. Mm -hmm. You know, that the greatest thing I could do is maybe introduce you to this person, like, you know, John the Baptist. Just prepare the way because you got to meet this guy Mm -hmm. because he's the one that could change your life. And I can be a conduit, I can show up. I believe my. My love can help, my presence can help, but I'm not going to transform a life. Yeah. You know, that's only through Christ. And when you start to get that perspective of like, I'm humbly going to walk into the places um, where I feel like God's opened this door, given me an opportunity, and I'm going to walk in humbly knowing that I'll do my part, but I can't do a miracle. Mm-hmm. But God can. Wow.
0: That's so well said. I love the, the idea of John the Baptist, too, because that is the perfect representation, mm-hmm. isn't it, of... I mean, the guy's got passion. And he's, he's a little bit crazy, um, but certainly he knows his place and can say, he,
3: he must increase, I must decrease. That's really good. Yeah, I love the line, the kind of a classic line from C.S. Lewis, humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It's just thinking of ourselves less. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to know who you are in Christ, that that's kind of a... Big deal, like wow, that's who I am. Mm-hmm. That could give you a big head, but it just does the opposite. It just takes you down to where you need to be, and you know, following the example of Jesus, and how he lived his life, man, that's a to, to me humility is is the is the ball game. Mm-hmm. It just is. I, I mean, you you see how. It's the first step in recovery when people are going through a recovery process. You know, you've got to have a sense of brokenness in your life. It's the first thing out of Jesus' mouth when he stood up and did his famous Sermon on the Mount. He goes, Blessed are the busted. Mm -hmm. Blessed are those who are broken and know they need God. Mm -hmm. And when you, that's the foundational to to life. And I was just teaching last weekend about uh, the parable of the soils that Jesus taught about. And one of the things that, but I've often thought, you know, how God wants to produce fruit in us and He wants to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things that are listed in the, the list of the fruit of the Spirit. I've often thought, how come like humility and gratitude didn't make that list? They ought, they, they ought to be on that list. They, they need to make the cut. Well, then I figured out that humility and gratitude, those are two things we can do. And as we humble ourselves and as we're grateful for things in our life, then that cultivates the soil that the Holy Spirit can grow that kind of fruit, mm. like love, joy, peace, patience in our, in our life. But humility is that. It's the key to everything, to, to me. Wow. I, I think that, and even like specifically millennial, I,
2: I'm 100% in agreement with that. I think sometimes uh, those of us that are leading millennials, we look at them in a way that we think that we know what they need, and millennials don't want to follow an incongruent vision or person. And so if, if it's I'm building my kingdom, they're not interested. But if we legitimately are living out in a humble way in front of them, building God's kingdom, they're all in. Like, mm-hmm. uh, so I think we've got a, probably less finger pointing back and more like, are we, are we the right people and with the right character leading the right way? Because that's... Uh, and pointing to a greater vision of Jesus, and they're all in. When, I, when they've seen that, I've seen them be all in.
3: I mean, when you, when you look at a group of people and say, you guys need to be more humble, what are, what are you saying about yourself? <laughs> <You're> saying,
1: <laughs> back in my day. Well, for back sure, in my day
3: when I was great. <laughs> <yeah>. Well, <laughs> you know? for sure in
1: like church leadership, I don't think that there is any the, – the humility cannot be overrated. I mean, it is just, like you're saying, the soil, the the groundwork where everything flows out of if you're going to lead People, if you're going to lead churches, if you're going to lead staff teams, I mean, humility is just where it's at. Um, uh, Mike, when he was ordained, this is I don't know how many years ago, twenty years long, ago, long time ago. Um, mm. His pastor at this first Christian church in Owasso said, "It's going to be a hard road if you're going to try to make people think you're awesome and God is awesome at the same time." Mm. And that has stuck with me. Like, that's the truth. That's a hard road. And even my dad, you know, he's been um, preaching and teaching and in ministry forever. He told me a long time ago if you're looking to get validation from people, need people to like you, um, this is the worst job for you. Like, go do something else because Mm -hmm. that's not where any of that um, comes from. And so I think as church leaders, all of us have this in this area of walking humbly with God in our leadership. Have a place to repent. We've either taken too much of the spotlight mm-hmm. and grabbed glory that's not ours, um, or we've taken too much of the weight, you know, mm. in, in every failure and everything, and we've carried like way too much of that. Um, when there are you know, Jesus says, "My yoke is easy." It's not supposed to be mm-hmm. this this heavy because I'm I'm designed um, to carry this weight. So I just. Don't think you can overstate um, humility.
2: And I would kind of just jump in, because I think pride is not agreeing with God about who you are. And so, um, like, there's times that we need to step in to a place that God has positioned us, but we don't believe that we we don't agree with God that that's who we are, how we're gifted or how we're wired or who we are. So we shrink back from the places that God has called us to. Hmm. And that's the op- That's the same form of pride as stepping into places that God hasn't called you to, uh, that I think is important too. So re- I think repenting of our hesitancy is a form of false humility hmm. as well. I agree. Okay.
0: So um, I've found that any time in my ministry career that I start thinking you know, I've done a good job, or look what I've done, or if I start to tip the scale that far, something happens. God allows something in my life to just bring me down to size. And uh, I know it's happened to you guys. I'd love to hear a funny story of somebody that God used, (laughs) um, or some situation. Um, I think about a time we were, we just moved in our building, and Things were going crazy with attendance and just really cool stuff. And, and I'm not saying that I was becoming arrogant, but I was sure thinking, boy, we're, we've done something really cool here. And I parked out in the – we had this dirt lot way out away from the church, and I thought, I'm just going to be so, so spiritual. I'm going to park way away out in the dirt lot. So I park over there on a Sunday morning, and as I'm walking to church <laughs> – um, there's a a little card that we hand out to visitors that tells us about our church and everything, and it's got my picture on it. And as I'm walking through there, I notice it that card is in the mud on the ground, and there's just <laughs> mud all over my face. And I just started laughing, thinking,
3: "Thank you, God, that is such a great reminder." And I am I am dust and headed back to it. And, oh man, I had one happen to me recently. It was- I went to uh, <laughs> I went to a Panera Bread to work out on the patio. I had my laptop out there, and I was actually working on a message on humility. It was from Philippians two, but uh, but uh, I had like one day to work on it, really work on. it. So I was out there, really wanted to get get stuff done, and <laughs> I was uh, out there by myself. It was real quiet, and there's a group of special needs adults that, that get dropped off at Panera at this particular Panera every day. And uh, one of them came out on the patio, and I could sense somebody sitting over to the side, kind of staring at me. And I look over, there's there's a guy, a special needs guy. um, I'm guessing he's probably 40 years old, a Down syndrome guy, really friendly. And he goes, I go, hi, hi. He goes, hi, my name's Brent, what's your name? So my name's Mike. He goes, you want to be friends? And I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm working on this message. I don't have time to be friends with this guy right now. <laughs> and so I said, sure. And I close my laptop. He comes over and sits down, and he tells me. He starts talking nonstop about his life and on and on and on. I mean, for an hour, I got nothing done on this message. So we, we part company eventually, and I get in my truck, and I'm driving. And, uh, and I said, you know, God, I said, you know, every morning I pray when I get up. Put somebody in my path that needs a touch from you, and I just thanks for doing that today. And I felt like God said back to me, "Well, Brent prayed the same prayer." <laughs> he, go, he goes, "I put you in his life." You know, I said, "There's a stressed out pastor working on humility out on the patio. Go cheer him up." You know, so even in that, I'm thinking, right. I'm thinking, "Yeah, it was all about me. I like to help this poor guy. And he he was God sent him to me."
2: Well, I I, so I, I mean, I live with two of the best preachers in the world, I think. So I think part of it is like, so when I'm when I'm like around bro and I'm around Jody, and then it's like, you're all right, but man, Jody is so good, or man, bro, is like killed it. And I'm just like, it's been a lifelong le- lesson in humility for me to be like, it's okay that they're great, and I don't need to be that... I am who I am and wired to do that, and how I lead and love and teach and communicate, and it's and it's good. It's just me, and I think also old friends (laughs) will keep you humble. Like you know, it's like so nobody in my hometown that I'm best friends with cares about what's going. They care about me. They care about the life change that's happening, but they're not going to let me think too highly of myself. I think Mm -hmm. sometimes as leaders we get in places where we can't be critiqued or you know that you know Mm -hmm. no way anybody could say anything wrong or to us. And I think it's been good. But I mean, there's always the comments of like, "Man, you've, you, five years ago you weren't that good, but you've gotten a lot better." Right? right you know, they're trying yeah. to be nice to you, <laughs> yeah. but it's yeah. really like, "Thank you." Yeah. How do I say yeah. so? Yeah.
1: Well, I've had several of those and lots of embarrassing things. The thing that uh, came to my mind though, which um, may just be odd, so um, you can edit this out, but is that whenever I will leave town and you know maybe I'm going to speak at speak at something that you know, is large and, like, influential and this is awesome. And then I come home and realize, like, Oh, I'm still the one that cleans these toilets, aren't I? <laughs> I? I just feel like, wait a second, these kids have no idea what I just did. You know, I, that's always like super humbling to walk back in and right. go, Oh, these are my these are my actual people. They have no clue right. how many people were simulcast this week. They're just right. like, Where's lunch? And, you know, those yeah. dishes have to be done and and so even for a while, um, back in our Uh, my mid-20s, it became almost like a discipline after I did something where I was kind of feeling um, maybe puffed up or could get one degree off. I would, first thing I would do is clean the bathrooms going, I gotta, I gotta remember this job too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is such a great word because you're right, the natural. And when I come home on Sunday afternoon, I'm like, here I am, <laughs> bring me the finest wines and cheeses. I'll <laughs> hell, the conquering hero. Did you hear what I just did? Yeah, that's right. How oh. was Sunday? Uh, and, you know, the last thing on Lori's mind is to compliment my message. It's to tell me yeah. what we have to do and what's next and who's misbehaving and why somebody's in a timeout and whatever. So,
3: Right. I, I think, I think the, you know, you, you're, you're making progress in your life when you show up at events like that and you show up to preach or lead. And before you walk up, you're going. Remember, I'm just the guy that cleans toilets at home. Yeah, that's and it's so good. you have to kind of take that mindset. Like, yeah. not okay. The great person's getting ready to walk on stage. That's right. that's going to be evident to all when you bring right. that spirit. You know, and right. part of
2: what I've watched him watch Bro do is like, um, and it's been super influential for me. As I feel like anywhere he's leading or speaking or teaching or investing. He never needs anything from them. Mm-hmm. And I think as leaders, if we're walking on a stage or we're walking into a room needing something from the people we're leading or serving, mm-hmm. we're in a bad spot because mm-hmm. that's we can't authentically lead and humbly serve them that way. And I've watched him go like, yeah. I'm just a vessel. That's who I am. And this is what you get today. And I'm gonna do the best that I can with what I've been given. Right.
0: I remember I heard a mutual friend of all of ours, Chuck Buber, say one time that when we walk out on stage, we're thinking, do they like me? We forget that they're wondering, does he like me? Mm-hmm. And we get to be God's mouthpiece to them in that moment. And I also think about we were just talking about our spouses and our comments to us, but our our friend, the late Wayne Smith, said one time he went home to Marge and said, Marge, how many great preachers do you think there are in the world? after he thought he just killed it as a preacher. And she goes, One less than you think there are. <laughs> <laughs> That's, good. That's good. All right, well, I want to wrap this up with a, a little bit of just uh, where the church is headed. And Mike, you uh, – Mike, bro, that is you, – you kind of sit here as the elder statesman, though not elderly. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, I mean, you've seen a lot of church growth and, and uh, styles and methodology over the years. And Mike and Jody, you've been students of that, but now you're pioneering and leading a brand-new church. Uh, that's just doing great things, um, don't you feel like that we are moving into an age in the church when it really is less about the the leader being the, the, the guy that's been to the mountaintop and follow me and here's where we go, but it really is more of a servant leadership. And the humility thing, like we've already talked about, is such a key piece. Where do you think the church is headed? Because we see the attractional model starting to go. Justice, mercy, humility isn't just missional. It's living out the teachings of Jesus. So it seems like this is the direction we're headed. What, what do you guys see on the forefront of church leadership and even church methodology?
3: Hmm, again, I'm, I'm probably a pretty simplistic guy when it comes to all this. But you talked about the uh, servant, servant leadership emerging. You know, I hope so. You know, I hope that's the case because that goes against the grain of the the arrogance that can creep into the church and to, and to leaders' lives that mm-hmm. like I am the man or I am the woman and I've been to the mountain and man when you when you see it like man I'm a, I'm a fellow struggler too and I'm I'm learning just like anybody sitting in sitting in the audience and mm-hmm. is coming and walking through the doors of our church you know I might be at a different mile marker down the road because I've been doing it longer but man I that passage rocked me today. You know, and I think when we, when we lead like that, we're going to see some great things happen in the church. Because, again, it goes back to the whole humility thing. You know, that's the way, that's the way Jesus led. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think of the passage. You know, where uh, the guys are all getting all puffed up and wanting to be the man, and thinking that they're right on the right on the brink of Jesus. You know, you know, uh, throwing down a hammer on the Romans, and they're all fired up, and they're in the upper room doing their thing, and and bragging about who's going to be what and Jesus just kind of says "time out guys hang on you you know how you know you know how the romans like lorded over everybody uh not so with you and those four words were kind of stuck in my heart for a long time of you know, every time I I want to be the man that's been to the mountain or I want to be the guy with the private parking place or the, mm-hmm. or the guy that you know the, no not not so with you um and then Jesus went out and demonstrated what that meant when he went to a cross you know so mm-hmm. I think I think if we're if we're moving toward like you said if we're moving toward that, Amen. Yeah. And I hope I hope that is that is the tendency because the other tendency, I think, really has taken us a wrong direction where there has to be the man, the prophet, the the person who is closer to God, and that's just that's just all ego stuff, man. You know, and it's just when 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 ego gets crucified. Of course, the old old cliche of, I think I heard Ken Blanchard say it one time, ego stands for edging God out, and that's exactly what it is, man. And when ego creeps into leadership in the church, it's just an ugly thing. So I I, I really do. I hope we are headed that direction, and and I hope I'm going to be a part of it because I I, I have to crucify my ego every day too. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I think as leaders or just as humans, we walk into places and our tendency most uh, – I'm going to say my tendency is to walk in and be like, here I am. Yeah. Like and I think humility is saying there you are and I see you and I think as churches as church leaders we have a tendency to say like here we are as the church like here like aren't you we are God's gift to this city like aren't you glad we're here but I think if the church can move to the posture of there you are and I see our city's greatest needs and we're in and we don't need the credit or we don't need to be the one up front leading that charge we just want to bring the good news and hope to the Poorest parts of our city, to the hardest parts of our city, to the biggest issues that our city has. Um, We're not saying here we are as the rescuer, we're saying there you are, Mm -hmm. and we want to bring the good news to that. I think that, and that looks different in every city, in every context, in every um, situation of what the city's biggest problem is. But if the church is saying, I see it and I'm moving towards it, uh, I think that's a good way to be about it for Mm -hmm. the future. So
1: I love that. Yeah, what came to my mind uh, initially was, I mean, when I dream about the local church and the movement of church across the world, you know, I dream about just people that really need hope, um, that need a real hope, and coming to know Jesus. And um, but I think that as I look into the future, the the best way um, for that to happen is for every believer to feel the responsibility of being a pastor mm. and um, releasing you know, their gifts and their life and their influence um, to come alongside people that are broken and hurting and desperately need hope. And not to view it as like that's something the staff does, that's something our spiritual formation director does, or this program does, or our teaching pastor's great at this, wait until you meet them, but something that I'm responsible for as a believer. And so I think, like, looking forward in the church, that's gonna require training, that's gonna require um, thinking about our systems of discipleship, you know, in a way where um, not that information and knowledge is bad, because that's foundational to our faith, and it really grows our faith. But um, teaching spiritual transformation in a way that it's leading people to say yes to obedience to God, that's really what deep is when you're in over your head. Mm -hmm. Um, And for every believer to have that experience of like, I said yes to God today, and I'm in over my head, but I'm trusting God. And that's not just something that the church leadership does. That's something I feel equipped to do um, or called to do, and God will equip me as I go along. So I don't know how that happens, but I see this dream. And even at mission, I it's one of my favorite things um, about mission is to walk in and see um, mature believers, and their maturity is really marked by who they're walking beside. Mm-hmm. And I see that, and it's just like, that's it.
3: Yeah, you know, I think that it goes all... all, it's all again, this, there's a common thread through this, the humility thing, uh, one of the most humble things you can do as a leader is to realize you can't do everything well, and you need to release stuff. And so there are people in this—that's why the guy came up with the genius idea of the body of Christ, that everybody's got a role, everybody's got a gift. And uh, as, as a leader, sometimes I think we act like a cork in the neck of the bottle— Mm-hmm. Going, you know, hey, I, I, I got it, I got it. You know, you hired me to do this. I'm the pro. You know that kind. Of, and it's just such a wrong approach. The where you have to humble yourself and and get out of the way, let other people experience the blessing of being used and use their gifts and and uh, that. But it, it's a it's a humbling thing for a leader, but it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, there's always so many shifts in church culture. You know, it's like oh, we're attractional, we're missional, we're you know communal. We're like trying to navigate all that. It's always been come and see so that you can go and be. Like, we don't need to throw bombs at each other on the model. It's like, you know, come and see over here. Like, there's nothing wrong with doing great gatherings. Like, be great. Let people release their giftness in the gathering. But if that's not the end. It's like right. we want to go and be the church where we live, work and play, and we and it's not come and be and go and you know come and see and go and be it's come and see so that we can go and be the church uh, and trying to live those things in tension and balance is the way forward I think
1: and I'm probably speaking to things that are like easier said than done when I'm going to say this next part, but um, <clears throat> I think about how we um are maybe our church culture has kind of drifted towards like talent based and um mm-hmm skill development which is all great. <clears throat> I'm saying train people, let them take the course and go to the conference and all those things. Release them in their lane. But we can't allow um like gift development to be greater than like character development um because the people that are you're seeing fruit in their life of love and joy and peace and Kindness and humility, and they're willing and available. They may not be the most talented, but they may be the absolute best evangelist in your church, or prophet, or pastor that you've got. I mean, I'm thinking of a guy at Mission that I didn't go past seventh grade, um, and he's he's reached more people in his life and community for Jesus than just about anybody I know.
2: Yeah, well, we think we think that like you know, fruit of your life equals results. Of what God has done, but when you read about it, fruit is character
3: development right. of who we're becoming, not what we've accomplished. Yeah, and we equate fruit with success. That it's just a bad, bad comparison. People can be successful and not be fruitful at all. Right. You can have you know what 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 a good tree bears is is character stuff. You know, mm. the love, joy, peace, patience part of things, which all comes
0: out of humility. Yep, and gratitude. Yep. This is so good. Thank you guys so much for what you do and the way you do it and for sharing it with everybody listening.
1: Thank you.
2: Thanks. Thank you. Thanks,
0: Russ. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you have not yet, you can pick up a copy of the new book, Justice, Mercy, Humility, A Simple Path to Following Jesus, uh, wherever books are sold, or on Amazon, or you can also pick it up through my website, PastorRustyGeorge.com. And if you go over there now, you can also uh, get access to that free webinar which is going to walk you through a great conversation with Mike, Mike, and Jody. We get into issues like parenting, planting churches, transitioning churches, and just being people that are known for our justice and mercy and humility. So check that out. Thank you so much for listening. Look forward to talking with you next month.